Jonathan, my heckler, is, uh, he's my heckler in class, and so he's, he's going to stay true to his title, I guess, this morning, laughing at me, all right? Uh, but we're going to have uh, a good time nonetheless. I enjoy being in church, and I enjoy uh, doing things and activities like that. I am blessed uh, to be the associate pastor here, uh, be able to go up to camp and enjoy a week of camp there and uh, run our family day. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's a lot of work. Now, Brother Dave, Brother Jonathan, they helped me out quite a bit this last week, setting all that up, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, worth it all. Uh, worth it all is what we were saying. Uh, we, were, we got up this morning really sore, but uh, it was worth it all, and I enjoyed it. Um, I should say, though, Brother Dave, I said you were catching little thumb-sized fish. That's what my son was doing, too. He had found a little pond, or a little cutout there with all these little tiny bluegill, and he put a tiny little hook on there, and he, was just, he didn't even have a bobber on. The boy was just sitting there watching the fish take his hook, and he'd give it a little jerk, and up came the tiny little bluegill. And so he was just real, not even really. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, that's, I guess that's fish, and might have to make some more rules next year. Uh, but they enjoyed it, and that's what it was all about. The kids were loving it. Uh, Brother Brooks there. Brother Brooks, you were there. Boy, all those girls up there. Did you get any fishing in? No, he had all those girls up there dropping parts of reels in the water and baiting. Oh my goodness, <laughs> changing out hooks and changing out bait. And boy, oh boy, you were a busy beaver up there on the bridge with the girls. And they had fun though, right? Oh, I'm glad. Good, good, good. Uh, they enjoyed it. Uh, all those hooks. I stayed off the bridge when you get all those poles and kids throwing a uh, line out there. I don't feel like being hooked. Uh, it doesn't sound uh, intriguing to me at all. Uh, and I always get nervous when I take the boys out on the boat. Uh, I, I believe one of these days I'll get a hook in somewhere on my uh, body, but I don't want to look forward to it. All right? But all that to say here, let's get back on track. All right. Confidence in God is our title today, Confidence in God. Uh, so we're going ahead and look at that just a little bit. Uh, before we get started, though, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right into it. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to meet here today in church. God, we ask and pray that you be with our pastor. God, we'd love to have him here. God, we ask and pray that you be with him as he's the, uh, and George are there as he travels back tomorrow, that you give him safety. God, we ask that you meet with us today. God, that we glean from your word. God, that you'd use me as the vessel, the tool that I am. We ask and pray in your name. Amen. Webster's Dictionary offers three alternate definitions for our word today, confidence. One, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. A firm trust, right? The second one is this, the state of feeling certain about the truth of something. All right, and the last one, a feeling of self-assurance rising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. So you see the first two definitions that we had just read there, I just read for you for the word confidence are what we're talking about today. We want to, as a Christian, develop a strong belief, a firm trust, if you will, that we can rely on. On God. We want to arrive at a spiritual state where we can be certain of the truth of God's faithfulness. We can be certain of it. But that third one there, that last definition that I gave you, uh, this type of confidence, we are not to or not encouraged to practice. That third definition, if you will, is just a type of confidence that this world pursues, a feeling of self-assurance. 
arising from one's, you get it? Appreciation of one's own abilities. Me, me, me. I, I, I. If we approach the Christian life with that kind of attitude, that type of confidence, I can assure you, you will come up short because of your own ability to perform will always fall short. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all sin to come, what? Short of the glory of God. So how's, in a sense, your God's, your God confidence? Too many Christians today uh, shrink in fear when faced with d- uh, difficult circumstances. Uh, there's fearful situations, uncertain futures, but God has not left us to live this way. Not to live in fear. He wants us to press forward in confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. God wants us to press forward in him. Hebrews eleven six tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So from Paul, from his, uh, from his friends to Philippi, we're going to talk about three different dimensions of confidence, faith in God. All right, a confident faith in God. Number one, really quickly, we'll look at the product of placing confidence in God. The product of placing confidence in God. If you look there in verses 10 through 13, uh, it says right there in our passage for today, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me having flourished again, uh, wherein ye were also careful, but he lacked opportunity. Thou that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know now both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So verses 10 through 13 there provide some insight, if you will, into the heart and mind of the Apostle Paul here. He placed his confidence in God. According to the contents of this letter, it produced three different characteristics under this. Paul's confidence produced cheer. So we see the product number one of Paul's confidence that gave him cheer. He was happy. Even the most uh, casual reader of the book of uh, Philippians here quickly discovers the the theme of this book is joy. Joy. The term joy or rejoice appears 18 different times in this small letter of Philippians. 18 different times. In fact, Paul seems to uh, indicate that joy is a command for the Christians. uh, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. We know that song, right? You may already know where Paul uh, was when he wrote this letter. He sat in Rome. Wasn't in a palace. Wasn't at a restaurant. Wasn't in the mall. Wasn't on, in his Lamborghini, all right? He was in a prison. He was not just in prison for uh, doing wrong or stealing. He was in prison for his faith. He'd been falsely accused in Jerusalem after enduring numerous rounds of bureaucratic, through the bureaucratic legal system. He wrote to these believers about his joy in prison. But there was just any joy, it was joy in Jesus Christ. And about the joy that they could have through Christ as well. 
number of issues can kill your joy, right? Maybe things like difficult circumstances. We've all been there, right? Unfair people, delayed uh, relief, and, and so many more. Each of these issues could have been potential, in a sense, joy killers, right? Joy killers not for just us, but for this man, Paul, apostle. So how did he safeguard his joy? How did he protect his joy? The answer is confidence in God. Confidence in God. It's that simple. He knew that God was in control and that he would providentially see to it that his servants' needs were met. And that his purposes through Paul would be carried out as he saw best. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Philippians 1.12 tells us as well, But I would e that should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So we see the first product there was joy. It produced joy. God, having, Paul having confidence in God produced joy. Letter, uh, the second one there under that is Paul's confidence produced contentment. Paul's confidence produced contentment. Excuse me, it was cheer. Uh, the contentment there. Because of his calling. His calling is a church planting missionary. Went from place to place planting churches there. Paul's life involved a level of unpredictability, did it not? Not sure uh, where he would pillow his head at night. Not sure where he might enjoy his next meal. But he never doubted God. Never did. He knew that God would take care of him. He said he had learned to be content. To be content. This implies that, um, that this state of contentment developed over time. It's not something that just clicked, all right? As God proved his faithfulness in his life, uh, contentment came. God has proven his faithfulness to you. He's proven his faithfulness to me. And we're so, nowadays, uncontent. Not happy with the things we have. Not happy with our life. Not happy with our health. Not happy with this or that. Always looking for more. Paul later expounded on this topic of contentment uh, to the young pastor there, or protege, if you will, Mr. Timothy. All right? In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing to this world, and it is certain we can and will not carry anything out, right? And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. To be content. But they that will be rich, fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In our century, the 21st century American culture worked nonstop. These industries non-stop to prevent us from developing contentment. They uh, put out new things. Uh, if we become content, we cease from our insane purchases of unneeded products uh, with borrowed money. And if, we don't, if they don't put those things out, then they'll go out of business. I think one of the big ones, Apple, 
You know, mo- most of us have one of these in our pockets today, a smartphone. Uh, they're always putting out a new one with a better camera or better this and a better that. People will go, they have the newest one, but they want the newest, newest one. And so they'll sell this one, throw it in a drawer or something. I, I don't understand it. Uh, and they'll go out and get the best one, $1,000 or whatever. We're just uncontent culture. Uh, we, we're, we want more. We want better. Uh, they market. They advertise. They convince us that we simply must have their products. And all the while, we're bankrupting our spiritual lives, emptying our checking accounts, and making it nearly impossible to practice spontaneous generosity because we haven't learned what? To be content. So Paul's uh, confidence produced contentment. It produced cheer. It produced contentment. Uh, Let us see underneath that there. Paul's confidence produced courage. He was courageous. Paul was convinced that God would accomplish anything. Verse 13 tells us, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. There was some courage there. He was uh, sure that God would give him the ability to accomplish anything and through, in and through his life. Always already mentioned that confidence was not found in himself, but rather, as clearly stated in verse 13, I can do all things through myself? No, through Christ Jesus, who lived within him. Lived within him. So, we see, after all that, that there is the product of this confidence. Let's move it over there to our second point there, uh, the people who practice. So, we see the product of confidence there, and now we'll see the people who practiced this confidence in God in our passage. Verse 14 through 18, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell and a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God." So in these next few few verses, Paul uh, shifts gears, if you will, or shifts his focus from his own confidence of God, all right, into to the Philippians here, their, their confidence in God. He was a firsthand witness of their faith in God, having been a recipient of their generous giving. Uh, there's three different perspectives, if you will, on the manner which the Philippians gave. Really quickly, I'll give them to you. They saw needs and they gave. They saw a need and they gave. I love our church. Great givers. You see a need. What do you do? You meet it. Every time. Every time. And God blesses you for that. God has blessed this church because of that. And I'm thankful for that. These people saw, saw a need here for uh, Brother Paul say, you know what, we'll, let, we'll help you out. Not just once, many times. Paul, in verse 10 there, uh, Paul speaks of your care of me. Because the Philippian believer cares, the Philippian believers there cared for Paul. They gave to meet Paul's needs. This has been said, you can't give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. 
So this portion uh, of the letter here where in Paul's, is Paul's response to the offering that the Philippians gave or had sent out uh, to him in Rome uh, several hundred miles away uh, by the way of Epaphrodites. And apparently the Philippian church here had a track record of generous giving. They were givers. And then sometime early, even before this letter was written, Paul challenged the Corinthian believers to participate in a group offering to benefit the poor, poor saints in Jerusalem. They were struggling. Paul said they need help. In that letter to Corinthians, Paul held up the churches of Macedonia and his examples. And one of those examples was the church at Philippi. That was one of the examples. The Corinthians could learn from them, and so could we. So could we. They gave, they gave, and they gave. They saw a need, and they gave. Uh, They were confident that God would supply their need and even more to give to help Paul. Let her be under that. They sowed seeds when they gave. They sowed seeds when they gave. Verse 17, uh, you look there, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. said, I'm okay, but uh, I want God to bless you as you bless me. Uh, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. This is a great truth concerning financial giving to the work of God. And in our church is great at giving. Uh, It's an investment that will yield eternal dividends. Eternal dividends. Um, Letter C, under that, We'll move on. They practice spiritual deeds as they gave. They, they practice spiritual deeds as they gave. Verse 15, 16, and 18 there. Thou, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. You skip down to verse 18, but I have all and abound. I am full. I am full. Their giving was exceptional. Every time Paul had a need, this church was, how can we help? How can we help? When our neighbors need some help, are we as Christians, how can we help? Or we as Christians, oh, no, 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 no. I got my own things to take care of. When our neighbor needs her lawn mowed. How can I help? When, our, uh, uh, when, our, when the church has an event, we have VBS coming up, right? How can we help? How can we help? Or, oh, no, 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 I've done raised my kids. I don't want to deal with kids. There's just too, right? There's too much work. I just can't deal with it. I don't have the time. There's a need that can be met. What are we doing to meet it? There's needs, there's financial needs, yes, and there's needs where we can be here uh, to work and to help and to give our time. Maybe a smile once in a while, right, Brother Becker? No other church was doing anything similar at this time for Paul. It was a blessing for the Philippians to be a part of this unique church. We can even learn from their example today, uh, 2,000 years later. It was also a privilege to know that we have a part And what God is doing now, what God is doing here in our church, as he writes the history of our local churches. So their giving was exceptional. Not only was it exceptional, it was repetitive. Time and time again, these people gave. They sent once and again, the Bible says, 
to his necessity in verse 16. Some Christians may become excited and participate in a one-time big emotional offering. You know, we had that offering uh, for the, the, the folks there in Africa. Uh, Brother Treadway came and we gave, and I think it was over $15,000, if I remember, twenty five. I can't even remember. It was big. It was a lot. Mount doesn't really matter, but it was big. We were able to help some people. But is that an all-the-time thing? Or, oh, it's so emotional, those poor kids. There's a lot of people starving out there. There's a lot of people not just starving physically, starving for this, starting for the gospel. What are we doing about it? Are we going out with tracks in our pockets or purses? We're going out and help, or helping people and, and being a light to shine? Or are we hiding it for ourselves? Are we uh, snuffing it out because we're so involved with ourselves? Um, see, moving on here. Uh, it was repetitive. Uh, they, they, move, they did it again and again. It takes a faithful, mature Christian to give and not just give once. That's a growing Christian. But a mature Christian says, I'll give. Another thing comes along, I'll give. Another thing comes along, I'll give. Not just financially, uh, time as well. And they gave to a variety of special needs over a great length of time. It requires inner motivation rooted in one's love for Christ and kept fervent by the Holy Spirit. So we see they practice spiritual deeds, uh, spiritual deeds as they gave. Lastly, lastly, I'm almost done. We're going to be out in record time. Don't tell Pastor. A lot of you just woke up. <laughs> Number three, the promise that provides confidence in God. The promise that provides confidence in God. So so far, uh, we've looked at. Uh, several different points. Number one, the product of placing confidence in God. We see how the product produces cheer, uh, it produces uh, 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 in contentment, produces courage. Then we see the people in our story here in our passage that practice confidence in God. The Philippian church there, they saw a need. They gave. They sowed seeds when they gave. They practiced spiritual deeds as they gave. And then lastly, we see here the promise that provides confidence in God. So the concept here in verse 20, uh, 19, excuse me there, verse 19 and 20, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The concept of God, confidence in God really crescendos, if you will, in verse 19 when Paul makes the claim, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches by Christ Jesus. But this is not just Paul's claim to the Philippians. It's God's promise to you as well. Consider really quickly, last three, lastly with me, three different characteristics really quickly of this Philippians 4.19 promise. One characteristic, uh, the, uh, the first one there is the reality of God's promise. Consider with me that, the reality of God's promise. Paul didn't point believers' attention to a wealthy benefactor or a government bailout, if you will. These entities wouldn't provide real confidence. They're, they're shaky at best. <laughs> uh, they promise so many things. And sometimes they come through, most of the times they fail. But he pointed them to one that always comes through. 
that never fails. My God. As he said there in verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need. Pointed him to my God. This is foundational. Uh, giving is really and most importantly about you and your relationship with God. Uh, you, you can boil it right down to that. It's between you and him. Uh, let the missionary needs and the building programs and the categories on the giving envelope just fade away for a moment. Go into the background. Giving is really, in, in the most basic sense, a simple response. A simple response from God's children to him. Believing that he will keep his promise to meet their needs. Having confidence in God. Confidence. If you hoard your money instead of giving it, you don't have faith in God. You have no confidence in God. None. Zip. Zilch. You have faith as our third definition in you. It's all about how I can take care of it, how I can uh, help myself, and how I, 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 I. You have faith in you. I am uh, not, not, not denying any, in any way the need to save, all right? Understand we have a, a savings account for a rainy day, a rainy day fund, or an emergency fund, whatever you want to call it, all right? Those things are important. I mean, God's Word teaches us to save, all right? But I'm saying these, that there are those whose confidence is in their savings. That's what I'm saying today. Their confidence is in their little credit card and what's at the bank or whatnot in their savings because they actually direct their funds there instead of to the Lord's work. That's naive, not to mention disobedient. The Lord's work should take a higher priority over a sound savings plan. Again, it's good to have a savings plan, but when we're dumping everything and hoarding everything for me, 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 I, 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 we show that our confidence is not in Him, but in our own selves. We trust, our, we trust God instead of trust ourselves. When a need arises for ourselves, we don't have the money. It's not there. Why? Because we've been helping other people with their needs. But God always comes through. Paul, for he, he understood it, and he was trying to tell this church there. Um, let's see here. Uh, there's the resource. So there's the resource of God's promise. Um, we saw the reality of God's promise, the resource of God's promise. God has unlimited resources, unlimited resources to meet all of our needs. In all of his children's lives. Not just mine, not just yours, all of us. God has unlimited resources. Uh, he's able to meet all of our needs. Uh, and if we have confidence in him. And then lastly, consider the result of God's promise. Consider the result of God's promise. If you look there really quickly, and it boils it all down right here. Verse 20, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right there. Verse 20 says, now unto God. And our Father, be glory. When God's people exercise confidence, their full confidence is in Him to meet their needs, He proves His strength every time. Now, it may not be on our timetable, but it's on His. And He always, 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 I feel like I'm talking to my kids, always, always, to repeat myself a hundred times, always, always comes through. Always. 
May not be how we like it. May not be in our timing. But he always comes through. God was glorified here in our passage of Scripture through the generous giving of the Philippians and by his faithfulness to meet their needs. And he can be glorified today through our lives as well. As we step out and we trust him, we have our full confidence confidence in him, and he shows himself strong in each step we take. In conclusion today, and I'll be done, how's your confidence level in God? If you're confident in God, you can possess joy, right? There's some cheer there. If you can, you're confident, uh, and, and it's not just joy in the good times, it's joy through the difficult times as well. You can trust Him with the unpredictable. You can give generously to meet the needs of others. You can rest assured that He will meet your every need if you're, as you're faithful to Him. Lastly, or just in closing, just to repeat so you understand, we have confidence in God will give us cheer, right? It will give us contentment. It will give us courage. Those we saw later on, those who practice confidence in God, we saw how they gave. We saw they gave. Not just financially. Uh, we can give more than that. There's time, our effort, uh, what we do here to serve uh, our community, our, uh, those in our family, in our church. They sowed seeds when they gave. Uh, They uh, planted some seeds there. They sowed some seeds. They practiced spiritual deeds as they gave. And then the promise that provides confidence in God, the reality of God's promise, the resource of God's promise. He has all the resources and the result of God's promise. Always, always, he always comes through if we're confident in him. Not me. It ain't you. It's in him. Every head bowed, every eye closed.